You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Welcome back to our series called Beyond the Signs. And we are doing our third part in this series. And for the past two weeks, we've been basically going into the Gospel of John. Although there are many, many signs and miracles that Jesus really performed. You know this, right? Jesus performed a lot of, a lot of um, miracles or signs and wonders. But uh, the Apostle John basically focused on seven. Everybody say seven. He only focused on seven for a good reason. There's a reason for this. And the purpose of this really is to reveal something more or beyond the sign. That's why we are studying this beyond the signs. Amen. So in this preaching series, we want to look beyond that sign and see what Jesus is truly saying to all of us. So let me share to you once again a scripture from John chapter 20, verse 30. This is sort of like hinged in everything, right? It says there that now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But verse 31 says that these are written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, unlike, unlike the rest of the people that lived in Jesus' time, they were able to experience, witness the miracles of Christ. For us, we, we, we did not experience that. All right? That's the reason why John wrote this in his gospel, so that you and I may believe. Do you believe? Jesus. Okay, so that's what it is. Who wants to have life in Jesus? That's all of us, right? So, you want to have life in Jesus, we must believe in the Son of God or Jesus Christ Himself. Now, so far we have studied in week one, the wedding at Cana. You all know this, the wedding at Cana. And we won't dive into this so much. Basically, this is the first miracle that Jesus had done. And He turned water into wine. Okay? And last week we've talked about the healing of an official son. Okay? This, is, this is like instantaneous healing. 15 miles away from that place, Jesus said, you know, your son is healed and he got healed. And today, we'll talk about uh, another sign. It's also a healing miracle and it's healing at the pool on the Sabbath. All right, amen? So if you're ready, kindly open your Bibles to John chapter 5, verses 1 to 16 and let's all stand. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is uh, in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Verse 3 says, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now I want to pause here for a while. There is no verse 4. I'll explain that later on, but we'll go jump to verse number 5. Verse 5 says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, everybody say at once. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. 
But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus was had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask God for your spirit of wisdom and understanding tonight. Lord, I pray that you will open our spiritual eyes and our, open our hearts, Lord God. Minister to us tonight. Lord, may everything that would come out from this preaching come from your heart. Now, Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. Your presence is with us. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in order for us to best appreciate this story, um, allow me to divide this into three sections, okay? Actually, four. Sort of like four sections. The first one, we're going to talk about the place. Everybody say the place. Okay, it's like the setting. Then we're going to talk about the practice. Okay, uh, even practice, so the practice. Well, you'll know that later on. The place, the practice. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the problem. And lastly, we'll talk about what we will find or, or we will find out what Jesus is trying to reveal in all these signs. That, is that okay with you? First of all, let's talk about the place. The place, now this is basically the, the setting where this miracle, this amazing, miraculous healing occurred. Okay? The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to where? Jerusalem. After Jesus healed, remember last week we talked about the official son, right? So after Jesus healed the official son in Cana, which was, you know, um, you know, uh, up north or down north, basically down north goes down to the sea. After that healing, Jesus now decides to go to Jerusalem. Right? Are you still here? So he goes to Jerusalem during another feast of the Jews. Okay. Now we don't know what kind of feast is this, but it was a Jewish feast. But question is, what was the purpose of Jesus going back to Jerusalem? It's quite interesting, right? We'll find out, okay? And why did he go there? Why, what was his purpose? What, 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 what is happening in that place called Jerusalem? So we'll find out. In verse 2, it says there, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. You all know the sheep gate? Sheep gates are, are actually, it's the gate where, where all these sheep, traveled in all the way to be slaughtered for, for the sacrifice. Okay? Because during Jesus' time, they were still in the Old Testament days. They, they basically um, believed in sacrificing sheep, lambs, bulls. You all know what I'm talking about, right? So this temple, they would, they would require people to bring in the sheep, the lamb. And this was the sheep gate. Okay? This is basically where they are at. Are you still here? Getting it? Okay, get a picture. Now, the pool of Bethesda was nearby, okay, just north of the temple precincts. Okay? So, so that you'll understand, here's a picture of how it looks like. Right? The north temple wall, that's basically the temple of God. right? 
and you will see beside it is Antonia. Okay? It's not the restaurant. It's not Antonia's guy. Antonia. Okay? Antonia basically was the, the, the palace of Herod, King Herod. Okay? And it's actually the same place where Jesus will be tried in a court by Pontius Pilate. Okay? This is the place. Okay? You see it? It's over here. Now, the Pool of Bethesda is just near it. Pool of Bethesda here um, is here. Now, it's on the south side. Now, Pastor Ariel, do you know Pastor Ariel Marquez? Okay, man, he's, he's our senior pastor, right? He went to Israel and he said, you know, I got a good picture of Bethesda, okay? The, the exact place. And it has its name on it. It says Bethesda. That's only it, all right? <laughs> yeah, but, but the English translation of Bethesda means house of mercy, I want you to take note of that, okay? It's quite interesting. This is a place, or this is a house of mercy. Now, Pastor Ariel also gave me this picture. It says there, Jesus, in this place, Jesus healed the sick man near these medicinal baths in John chapter 5. This is the the place, okay? This is the place. Um, The pool of Bethesda basically was discovered in the 19th century, under the ruins of a uh, Byzantine church. Okay? So the archaeological evidence shows a pool, uh, a pool that is shaped like a trapezoid, varying from about uh, 165 to 200 feet wide by about 315 feet long. That's how big it is. So can you just imagine how many people can come into that pool? But it was divided, the, the northern and the central pool. And this is how it looks like um, today, okay, um, the southern pool had broad steps with landings indicating that uh, it was a mikveh. Everybody say mikveh. Now, mikveh is, is in Hebrew, which means ritual bath. That's where the pilgrims, they come in, they cleanse themselves, and before they worship, they cleanse in this pool. The northern part of that is a reservoir that actually cleanses all the water that flows down. So, all the dirt just gone out. Okay, so that's what it looks like. Now, if you take a closer look, this is how it's going to go if you, well, it's not close, close enough, but it's something like that. But pilgrims who went to this city were not the only ones going to the pool of Bethesda. In fact, it was a center for healing, kind of like a hospital. I don't know. There was no hospital way back then, but it was a healing place. Everybody went to the pool of Bethesda, Okay. So we've talked, about, we've talked about the place, right? Now we'll talk about the practice. Everybody say the practice. Okay? Now people went there. Now here's the practice. Okay? Um, in uh, John chapter 5, verse 3 says, In these lay a say, say this way, multitude. So there was a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now we're not told about how many were in the pool, but we all know that it is... A multitude. A multitude would mean a large, large number. Basically, more than one dozen. Probably a hundred, or even thousands. So I don't know how many could be that in that 315 foot long and 215 foot wide. I don't know. I don't know how many can can really be there. But everybody would go here. The question is why, eh? And the best explanation okay, is written in your ESV Bible. Do you know that? If you look down on, the, on chapter 5, there is a footnote. Okay? 
there is a footnote in chapter 5. And basically, it explains why people are going into the pool of Bethesda. They're all going there for a reason. Okay? Now, the early manuscripts that was written okay, contained verse number 4 in the book of John. But the earliest, which is the oldest, okay, didn't have verse 4. So they took it out and put it as a footnote. But for our purpose, for you and I to understand why they're there, we'll read it. Is that okay? Are you still here? Okay, verse 4. Holy, or in part, waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and, what, stirred the water. Okay? So it was believed that there was this angel that would come and stir the water. So the first one, in fact, in verse 4, it says, Whoever steps in or stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So you're getting the picture, okay? So whether this, the, whether this was really part of the gospel of John or not, the truth is, the truth is, everybody went to the pool of Bethesda to be healed. That's about it. And it became a practice. Everybody say practice. Okay? In other words, it became a religious activity. So, you know, even today, there are actually people who believe in this. Healing water. You all know this? In fact, ABS-CBN made a, a story, a documentary of this. Um, no, just a news story. April 15, dated April 15, 2015. ABS-CBN went to Manawag. You all know Manawag, right? They went there and they discovered that there were a certain group of people that would go there to drink this, what we call this miracle water. Have you ever heard of the miracle water? It gets you slim and thin. No, 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 it's not, not that kind of water. But it's a, it's a miracle water. And, and if you watch the news, there were throngs upon throngs of people, multitudes of people go there because they want to get healed. There were so many testimonies that they, you know, they were getting healed. Healed. So if I'm not mistaken, this exact story, they made an, in, an investigation. They found out that it was a broken pipeline in the sewerage that was going out. And yeah, yeah, actually. And yeah, the, our DOH said it is unclean. <laughs> but I don't know for whatever reason that was, they were getting healed. I, I don't know. But are you getting the picture? Are you still here? Are you getting a picture? This is in the pool. It's a, it's a huge pool, and people made it a practice to go there to be healed. It was a ritual. They were all going there because they were believing in this healing. Amen? Okay, now comes the problem. Okay, here it is, the problem. In chapter 5, verse 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Problem. Among all the invalids who were trying to get into that pool, there was this one particular man who was an invalid for 38 years. Now, we're not told what was his disease, okay? We don't know if he's really a lame person or a paralyzed person. We don't know that. But in the NIV and ESV, we know that it, he's an invalid. Um, the NRSV version says, he, has, he was ill. In the King James Version, he says, it says there, he had an infirmity. Now, the word in general, if you look at this, the word in general referring to, to uh, this kind of sickness, it means a state 
of debilitating. Everybody say debilitating. Debilitating illness, sickness, or disease. Meaning, it's that kind of a disease uh, that is draining, that is sapping your, your joy, that is wearing you out, that is exhausting you. It's tiring, it's impairing, what else? It's crippling and it's paralyzing. You know, I love my dad. He's, he's gone already. But that was the state of my dad for many years. He had Parkinson's disease. I grew up with that. And from time to time, there were struggles or challenges uh, with his muscle, his motor, and his, his brain. And he does not, you know, function pretty well. So I grew up in that situation where my dad was just going through this disease day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. I saw my mom's patients gone. You know, I've seen my brother, my sisters, and even me. I mean, that's how hard the sickness was. And you're thinking about this man in Bethesda, this one particular guy, 38 years being an invalid. Now, the life expectancy of a human being during the time of Jesus was about 30 to 35 years. So if you do your math, 38 years being an invalid, that could mean that this guy was actually sick since he was born. Are you getting the picture? Sometimes when we, when we read the scriptures and we don't really understand what they're going through, it's hard to appreciate it. But now understand that it is exhausting. It's tiring. If you were the invalid, you'd probably say, why don't you just shoot me? Well, of course, there was no gun yet. Why don't you just kill me? I might as well die. That is the condition of this man. Of all the people who decides to walk in that crowd that very day was Jesus Christ. Remember, he comes from Cana, right? He just healed the official son. And we were asking, what was his purpose? Did he come in the pools of Bethesda to heal the multitude? Was he there for the crowd? No. He was there for a different purpose. He goes to this one particular man. This man being an invalid for 38 years. He goes to this man, not the crowd, just this one man. Traveling 81 miles from Cana to here. There was no train, no cars. He just traveled on foot. Probably rode a donkey. I don't know. But can you imagine the purpose of Christ coming into Jerusalem to go to a pool and see this one particular man who's been there, who should be dead already, but he goes there. Was it just a random thing Jesus did? Um... I don't know, I think I'll go to Jerusalem and probably heal this certain guy. Was that his purpose? I don't think so. So the question we need to ask ourselves tonight is this, what is Jesus revealing about himself? Well, number one is this, that he is knowing. That this God, this Jesus Christ is an all-knowing God. Verse 6 says there, when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So in other words, Jesus is not after the multitude, but he is after this one particular individual showing himself okay, 
as an all-knowing God. God was not after the crowd. He was after one particular person. And what does that say about God? That, what does that say about Jesus? That Jesus is a very personal God. It was not about, you know, why don't I just, you know, declare healing and it's going to be multiple healings. Didn't do that. He only settled for one. Showing all of us that He knows you. And you turn to your neighbor that Jesus knows you. Yes, as an individual. But yet, in the many, many times that we go through tough times in our life, all the crises that we go through, what do we say to Jesus? We tend to think that God does not think of us. And I don't blame you. If you're, if you're going through tough times today, if you're in crisis today, nobody can blame you to feel that way. That God probably forgot about you. And think about this. This one lame guy or one invalid guy, nobody knows him. Doesn't even have a name in our story. Sometimes we'd question God, Lord, are you a real God? Is there a God when we go through these tough times? When the, the crisis that we are in, when we are already exhausted, pagod na ako, I'm so tired of this problem of ours. And we say, God, you're not thinking about me. And that's the reality. That's the tension we need to address in our hearts this evening. Is there really a God who knows you? My answer is yes. It is a big yes because Scripture tells us of who God is. Do you know King David? King David wrote a psalm. It's the 139th psalm. And this is what David says, addressing this to God. He said, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows you so well. He is a personal God. He's not indifferent to anybody. He loves each and every one of us. Even before we pray, He already knows what's in your heart. Yes, even in the darkest, darkest moments of your life, He knows what you are going through. Are you still here? In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 7, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. If He knows the number of your hair, how many of you know the number of your hair? How many? Nobody knows, right? But Jesus, but God Himself knows the number of your hair. What does that tell you? That tells you that God knows you more than yourself. God knows you more than you know yourself. That's what it's all about. Because Jesus knows you. He thinks about you. He knows what you go through. In fact, the very reason why He comes down here on earth as a man, you know why? So that He can get acquainted 
with all our challenges in life. He was just like you and me. He became man. He was also hurt. He was also in misery. He knows what we go through. And that's our Jesus. Jesus knows you. That is what he's trying to reveal. Let's continue. In verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Now, what's quite interesting in this story is that this invalid okay, had nothing to offer Jesus. Not even a teeny-weeny bit of faith was there. There's no faith at all. The Bible doesn't say that this man had faith. Nothing. Nothing to offer Jesus. But what moved Jesus? How can this man be moved Jesus' heart to ask this question, do you want to be healed? The man was a sinner. In fact, the, probably the reason why he's an invalid, probably because of sin, I don't know, or sin of the parents, I don't know. But he had nothing that would make, make, make him worthy of the attention of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing. But yet, Jesus offers his healing. He says, do you want to be healed? So question again, what is Jesus revealing in this story? Number two is this, that he is caring. Our God is a caring God. He is a compassionate God. Do you know the Hebrew word of compassion? It means rakam. Rakam means full, full of compassion, full of mercy. And the Bible speaks of this heart of Jesus nine times in the Bible, in the New Testament, about how Jesus felt with Lazarus. There was just so much compassion. During the feeding of the 5,000, he had compassion. It's that certain feeling it's it really sticks to the to the gut you know how it is when you it's not just the heart but it goes down the gut and that's the kind of of compassion that jesus had for this man he was just filled with mercy he was just filled with pity over the misery of this 38 year invalid and what was the response of this man interestingly in verse 7 he says the sick man answered him sir I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Remember, the angel would stir up, kind of like that. That's what they believed. That they were healed. He says, nobody was helping me. This guy was having a pity party in the pool. And I'm saying, that's, that's what it is. He was having pity moments by himself. In other words, he was saying, yes, gee, I want to be healed, but nobody... Nobody is helping me down the pool because I'm paralyzed. You know why we know he's paralyzed? Because he had a bed. He could not, you know, he's just there. He couldn't go. Nobody could help him. You know, I remember a story about a man. Who, uh, one one uh, night, he was walking uh, in the forest, and he actually fell in the pit. I don't know if you know this story, but he fell in the pit. It was so dark. And before he fell, he actually clung onto the branch of the vine, I don't know, of a tree. So he was there that night and he was asking for help. He was shouting for help. Do you know the story? If you know the story, just laugh along with me later. But, you know, he was holding this, this branch and says, Is anybody there? Nobody was answering, of course. It's dark night. Nobody was there. And he, he goes, 
Lord. Then he starts to pray. Finally, Christian, eh, nag-pray siya. Sabi niya, Lord, Lord, are you there? And lo and behold, a voice from heaven answered, Son, was there, Son, let go of the vine. Uh, excuse me, Lord, let go of the vine. Uh, Lord, is that you? Son, let go of the vine. So this is what he says. The next, he says, is anybody else out there? <laughs> so wakes up, the, you know, you know, to cut the long story short, he suddenly he finally sees that the, the pit was about only four feet. So it was really nothing. See, the problem with us is this. We just can't trust God enough. We can't trust Him enough to let go of our problems. We still cling on just like this man. He says, uh, you know, uh, nobody's helping me. This is what I think is right. Sometimes we have this expectation of how God will come and, you know, heal you or brings blessing or breakthrough. You know what I'm saying? You've been praying to God, but you have this certain expectation, just like this man, of how he will be healed. And that's how this man was looking at Jesus. Saying, nobody was helping me. But truth is, God cares for you so much. We are just too consumed with the problems that we are in. He knows you. He knows exactly where you are. He cares about you so much because you're compassionate God, but you cannot just trust Him to do His thing. So what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. So Jesus tells him, no, 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 not on your terms, not the way you expect me to heal you, but on my terms. He says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. I don't know what was going on in his head when he heard this, but think about this. Lord, you know that I am paralyzed. You know that I cannot walk. But God's way is never our way. Yes, you understand? God's way is never our way. You know, my mom, my mom, I love my mom, but she's still alive, praise God. Lord, give her more life. But my mom tells, she always tells me this, kung saan ka nadapa, doon ka tatayo. Uh, but in English, wherever you fall, that is where you will rise. Tama ba? Is that right? So, think about this. It's kind of like Jesus saying, you know, um, the very thing that is hindering you, okay, that is actually your problem is the very thing I want you to get up from. So he says, get up because you're lame, you're paralyzed, you're in an invalid. Now I want you to get up. Uh, get up, take up your bed, and walk. You see, God's, God's way of healing us or blessing us is different from how we want Him to bless us. It's so different. Sometimes it is painful. Think about it. I was just thinking, this paralyzed man probably was trying to get up. It was really painful. He's kind of old already, probably around 50, 55. I don't know. Well, if you're, not, if you're 55 and you're still okay, you're good. Praise God. But for the purpose of our story, this is true story, okay? This is true story. This guy went up having a hard time. But the thing is, it's never easy. 
If you were in his shoes, it was not easy for you as a lame, as a paralyzed person to get up. But as we trust God that he knows what you're going through, and as we trust him because he cares, he's compassionate about you, something good can happen. And we read it in the next verse, and the Bible says, and at once. Everybody say, at once. And at once. The man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Just like the official son, you remember the story? Jesus says, your son will live. And then the official goes home. And then before he reaches the house, the servants will run into him. Sir, your son lives. And the man says, what hour? The 11th hour, which is 1 p.m. And he says, wow, it's, it's the exact time that Jesus said, he lives. He will live. Instant. In other words, what, what happened was really a miracle. But it was Sabbath, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll go to that Sabbath later on. So what is Jesus trying to reveal to us? Number three is this, that He is able. He is able. In other words, He has the ability. He has the power. He is capable he has, in fact, the sovereign power to choose to heal or bless any person or any man, particularly this man, even if he does not deserve to be blessed or healed. God is able. Are you hearing this? God is able. He has the power. He has the sovereign power to choose to heal anybody, even if he does not deserve the miracle, Jesus gives it anyway. You know what you call that? It's called grace. That's what it is. It's called grace. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work, Within us. You know what's our problem? Our problem is this. We limit God. Are you here tonight? You know, you know, you know the mentality that because you, you don't trust God enough, that God is able, we stick to just, Lord, just help me down the pool in Bethesda. That's fine by me. Sometimes, you know, you want to believe God for, for, you know, great and mighty things. You end up with little things. Because you limit our God. I'm guilty of that. I could not believe, you know, my, 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 my kids have even greater faith than me. We were, you know, we were praying, we were praying, Lord, sige, Lord, bless us kahit, you know, a trip. Kahit, kahit dito lang sa Pilipinas. I wasn't believing God for anything bigger than that. And my, my, my son told me, Dad, you can believe for abroad, you know, that para naman di lang Pilipinas, pwede naman tayo mag-abroad. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes that's the kind of mentality we have about our God. God has the ability to answer our prayers. God has every capacity. He's got the power to heal. Even instantaneously He can. That's who our God is. He is a powerful God. Let's continue. In verse 10, So the Jews said to the man, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. 
Remember, Jesus healed during the Sabbath. Oh, Lord, bakit naman? I mean, of all the times to heal, why, why choose the Sabbath? Do you realize that the penalty for, sab- for doing an unlawful act in Jewish terms is this, two things. One, either you get banished from the community or second, they'll stone you to death. In Filipino, mababato ka. Penalty for that was this. So Jesus basically was going against every religious mindset. Let's continue. In the next verse, it says there, But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. I mean, this is really funny. The guy got already healed, and he blames the guy that healed him. Why? Because he was afraid to die. He doesn't want to be stoned to death, right? So it's not my fault. It's his fault. That's what he's saying. The one who healed me. So they asked him in verse 12, they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now this, listen to this, it's quite amazing. Here it is. The, these Jewish people, they were, they were there missing out on the best news on planet earth. This man who was 38 years invalid, for 30, I mean 38 years has been that, that condition, gets well. And what's in their mind? Religion. It's called legalism. I mean, you would probably rejoice when you know that someone who has been sick for many years gets well. How many of you know that's a, something to celebrate? But the Jewish people, they choose not to. They miss out on the word grace. Everybody say, say this word, grace. They've exchanged grace for a religious tradition. So what did the Jews want? They wanted to know who did it. They asked him, who is this man? And in verse 13 it says, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. He had no idea. Can you imagine this guy? This guy gets healed. He was given the gift of healing and he doesn't even ask, who healed me? But think about it. If someone gave you a gift, right? You'd probably ask him, oh, excuse me, what's your name? Somebody says, this is the key to your new car. What will you say? You just grab the key and go? No. He says, who are you? Sindicato ka ba? You don't do that, right? But you ask the name. But this guy, this man, didn't ask. He didn't ask them Jesus. So what happened? He didn't know a thing. What did Jesus do? For this, Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Now think about that again. Again, Jesus is not after the crowd. He was after the person. And that's who he is. Of course, this is a crowd. Yes, but he's after you and me. That's the heart of our God. Let's read on. Afterward, Jesus, everybody say, found. Found him in the temple and said to him. Okay, we'll pause from there. Now, the man did not look for Jesus, okay? It doesn't say there. Scripture does not say that this man who was healed, he didn't, he didn't find Jesus. He didn't look for Jesus. In fact, Jesus was the one looking for him and found him where? In the temple, okay? Jesus found him. Truth be told, many of us do not really seek God. Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. That's the reality. That's the hard truth. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. 
But Jesus came to seek the lost. He's always there seeking. Can you imagine that? Can you, can, you, can you really understand the grace of God that's happening? Now, here's the most powerful statement that Jesus made to the healed man. And I believe it's a powerful statement to you and me. Okay, I'm about to land. And we can't miss this. This is what Jesus said in the following verse. He says, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. You know what? Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man. Jesus, you hear me? Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man and leaving him with nothing more than just a healed body. In fact, Jesus comes back. Why? Because there's something more important than the physical healing. It's something more important that, you know, of course, we can celebrate 38 years and then suddenly he gets healed. That's great. But Jesus is not after the physical healing. Jesus is more concerned for this man's spiritual healing. Are you still here? That's why Jesus said in Luke 9, 9 verse 25, says, For what does profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The truth is, you can be healed. All of us can be healed today. You can be blessed today with all the things that you've been praying for. Great. But you can also lose your soul. And that's a hard reality. You know, the worst thing that can happen if you are in sin is this. And John wrote this. In fact, Jesus wrote this in the same chapter, chapter 5, right? In verse 28. Jesus said that do not marvel at this for an, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In other words, there's going to be a judgment day. That's why Jesus was after him. That's why Jesus was, you know, was looking for this man because he understands that on judgment day, this person might not make it to eternity. Because we can receive everything in this world has to offer. Great. You have all the healthy stuff, you know, drink all your whatever, you know, healthy stuff, your vitamins, lahat na. I mean, talk about all the health stuff that you can get. You can get that. You can be rich, you can be blessed, but you lose your soul. And this is the heart of Jesus. It's kind of like this. You know, the saddest thing that Jesus, that can happen to our Lord Jesus is this. Okay? The saddest thing that can happen to our Lord Jesus is when He heals you, but loses you in eternity. That is the saddest thing that our Lord feels. Because it's not about the physical healing. Are you still here? It's not about the sign. It's not about beyond. It's about beyond that sign, looking beyond that. See, it's not the goal of Jesus. If it was just to heal, of course, Jesus heals. How many of you know Jesus heals, right? But that's not the goal of Jesus. If it was about healing, He would have healed the people in Bethesda, the multitude. 
If it was about healing, it would have, you know, Jesus would have, we don't have sickness today. You know what I'm saying? He already came, but we still have cancer, we still have HIV. We still have it here. And no matter how much you get healed today, truth is we will die. That's the whole reality. What is Jesus revealing? What is He truly revealing to us as I end? You know, Jesus came ultimately to save us from our sins. That's why. Because sin is the most incurable disease in the world. Are you still here? And it is only Jesus who overcame sin on the cross in Calvary. That's why we have that song, it's finished. He did it. So our Jesus, who gives us a miracle of healing, shows us that He is an all-knowing God. He is a caring, compassionate God. He is an able God, a powerful and able God. Why? Because ultimately, this is the whole point of everything, because Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. Question, what's our role today? Jesus puts it very simple. Here, in that same verse, he says, See, you are well. Now, turn to your neighbor say, See, you are well. All right, here's your next line. Sin no more. It's a call to turn away from sin. The healing in Bethesda is about us turning away from sin and following Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. It's called repentance. It's also called His grace. It's an amazing thing to have the grace, to have this, this miracle. Are you still here tonight? Amen. Can we give a hand from, for, the, for God? Amen. He is the Christ. Let's all stand. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Lord, far be it from us that we receive the blessing and not the blesser. Far be it from us that we receive all those wonderful miracles that you have and we lose the miracle giver. Lord, I pray whatever whatever we're going through today, Lord God, may we look at you as someone who understands us, who knows us, someone who cares for us, who loves us, someone who's able to get us out from where we are. Most of all, help us to know that you are the Christ the one who saves us in every single moment of our lives. You are the one who saves us. Lord, thank you, Lord God, that there is no amount of sin that you have not overcome. Lord, thank you, Lord God, that if we trust in your name, Lord God, that we will have life. So, Lord, I pray, Lord God, for everyone who is here tonight, Lord God, as we worship you, Lord, may your power and your love be with us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for your forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord God, that true repentance is turning away from our sin, the wicked ways, and turning to you. So, Lord, we worship you tonight, God, with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. 